This episode of Locked On MLB is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. And let's get started with this episode of Locked On MLB. You are Locked On MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast. We talk about all of Major League Baseball. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. If you don't believe me, look at my lower third. It tells you that my name is Sully. I am an Emmy-nominated television producer who has been a member of the Lockdown Podcast Network for the last five seasons. I've been podcasting for over a decade, but I like when LeBron brought his talents to South Beach. I brought my talents to Lockdown. By the way, apparently there's a couple of people who think there's too many basketball references on the Lockdown Podcast Network, so I'm going to skirt that right now and show you that this right over there, right in the box to the left, if you look at me, is my co-host for today on this crossover with Locked on Diamondbacks. And who would that be? Yeah, because LeBron couldn't do it alone. He needed Dwayne Wade by his side, throwing him alley-oops. That's where Miller Thomas of Locked on Diamondbacks comes in to help out uh, Sully basketball, maybe, because, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of basketball references over here. You can follow me on Twitter, at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account, or look up Locked on Diamondbacks, both Twitter, Instagram for the podcast handle. And, of course, on all your streaming platforms. And please hit subscribe on the Locked on Diamondbacks YouTube channel. And you can follow us at Locked on MLB Pods on Twitter or on Instagram. I am your pal, Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Hey, this is the 5th of February, uh, Super Bowl uh, Sunday is next week, and whenever yeah. it's Super Bowl Sunday, as a rabid baseball fan, I feel like, oh, guess what's right around the corner? Pitchers and catchers reporting, and it's it's, it's just sitting right there. Uh, I had to stop and think for a minute. Who's in the Super Bowl? Apparently, it's Kansas wow. City and it's uh, Philadelphia, um, and so either the Royals fan base or the Phillies fan base will be going into this new season going like, all right, looking good, looking good. Good times in Philly. They have a trip to the Super Bowl the same year they have a trip to the World Series. It's always interesting when that happens. But uh, here we go. We're here to celebrate baseball and not uh, basketball or football or hockey, for that matter. Well, occasionally, occasionally, Occasionally we'll sneak in. Occasionally we'll sneak in. One of the things that happens in, in baseball is you wind up celebrating the past while you're getting ready for the future and being excited about the present. And a legend who played right down the street for I'm saying I'm in the luxurious lockdown MLB studios in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. Fernando Valenzuela is going to have his number retired by the Los Angeles Dodgers. No one's worn number 34, to the best of my knowledge, since he last pitched for the Dodgers in 1990. And to this day, it is one of the single most popular jerseys you see at Dodger Stadium. Yes, there are more Clayton Kershaw's and Mookie Betts's out there, but there's no shortage of Fernando Valenzuela jerseys just walking around. And sorry for dudes my age, 
you know, people who are Gen Xers and people who came of age in base as a baseball fan in the 1980s. Fernando was a huge part of the Dodgers' success in the 1980s. The only franchise to win multiple World Series in the 1980s were the LA Dodgers. And, and Fernando was more than just an excellent pitcher. But I mean, let's just, we're just going to, just going by the hard numbers right now, um, he won the Cy Young Award and the Rookie of the Year in 1981. Where he, it was the truncated strike season, where he threw uh, 192 and a thirds innings in 25 starts. Uh, if you're keeping score at home, that's 11 complete games. If you're keeping a score, that's eight complete game shutouts that he threw that year. Uh, year in and year out, he was a workhorse. He completed 20 games in 1986. And, tw- and 12 games in 1987. Multiple years he would be in double digits in complete games. Uh, he led the league in victories. He's led the league in strikeouts. He's led the league in, 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 in many different sort of advanced categories. And between 1981 and 1986, he was in the top five of the Cy Young Award four times. Now, he his career... You know, he still threw 204 innings in 1990, threw a no-hitter in his final year with the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. And then the 90s kind of bounced around between the Angels, the Orioles, the Phillies. He had one more, he had one last good season with the Padres and then wound up sort of fading out with the Cardinals. Uh, but he had a wonderful career. And But beyond that, he was the star of the Dodgers that opened up the team to the Mexican-American population of Los Angeles. Uh, Just giving a tiny bit of a history lesson, there was a huge, huge antagonistic relationship between the Mexican-American community of L.A. and the L.A. Dodgers because when the Dodgers moved from Brooklyn, instead of playing at uh, Wrigley Field, L.A., where the minor league Angels played, they said, no, 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 we want to build our own stadium. And they basically leveled a predominantly Mexican community to build Dodger Stadium. Mm. Evicted a lot of people from their homes. It was shown on TV, people being dragged from their homes. And they said, oh, we're going to build affordable housing there. And they bulldozed their homes and build a baseball stadium. So for years, the Dodgers were a symbol of a displaced community. And for better or for worse, Mexican-American fans stayed away from the Dodgers for the first two decades, the first two and a half decades they played here. And the Dodgers organization kind of actively sought to find a Mexican star to win over the fans. And they found a guy who was playing in an obscure town in Mexico and who could pitch wonderfully. And the Yankees were also kicking the tires with Fernando. But it was uh, he was signed, um, and uh, and he was you know he was brought in to be you know he was not drafted he was a he was a free agent signing, and he came in, and not only at age twenty did he become the Cy Young Award winner and electrified the game, but there was a he had an element about him, and that is, this this may sound weird. He just looked like a guy. 
he didn't look like an athlete. He looked like someone you would see in one of the neighborhoods here. He had kind of a chubby, he kind of had a round face and kind of a roly-poly body. He didn't look like an elite athlete. His hair was a bit, you know, he had a sloppy hair and he had this infectious smile and personality and he had, was clearly having the time of his life. He was having fun. And the for people, for the a lot of the Mexican-American community in Los Angeles, it was like seeing their buddy was pitching for the Dodgers. And not only that, was pitching unbelievably well. And he became instantly the most recognizable face in baseball. The fans, like the stadium would be jam-packed every start he gave. And it sort of went beyond even baseball, appearing on Johnny Carson, meeting the president of the United States. There's even a shot in the making of E.T., which was being shot in the summer of 1981, when there's a scene where Elliot throws a baseball into the little wood tool shed and E.T. throws it back. You see in the rehearsal, Steven Spielberg saying, yeah, be like Valenzuela, throw it in there. Like It's like it permeated everywhere. And for that period of time, he was, he injected such a sense of joy to the team that, again, to this day, you see people wearing the jerseys. He is the announcer for the Spanish language uh, broadcast. When they cut to him in the booth, the place goes crazy. And it's a celebration. And, and the Dodgers have a gigantic following now amongst the Mexican-American community in L.A. Now, you may say, you, you may criticize that based upon the origins of the team here, but you cannot criticize what Fernando meant to this ball club. And they don't win the World Series in 1981 without him. They don't go to the playoffs over and over again without him. And he is someone, is he a Hall of Famer? No, his peak was too short. He's almost like Tim Lincecum in that way. But he is someone whose peak was so intense that here we are, 2023. You know, it's 42 years later. And Fernando Mania can still be felt in the stadium. And so when you see uh, Fernando's number retired, his number 34 retired, good. That, that's, it's not always about who's in the Hall of Fame or with the highest. It's who established the history of the team. And so I think this is this is long overdue, and I wish it happened while Vin Scully was still alive, because Vin Scully called all of his great games. But to Fernando, um, El Toro, uh, this is well deserved. Man, another great history lesson from Sully Baseball, because Fernando, admittedly, before doing this exercise, was not a player I was too keen on. So I was having to do a little research before we hopped on the podcast today. Read an article by Bill Plaschke from the L.A. Times talking about how he is maybe the most revered Dodger in Dodgers history. And I want to come on this podcast and kind of figure out why, because it didn't really go into the article too deep as to why. And it sounds like he was that bridge gap player between the Mexican community and the LA Dodgers and was able to bring that audience and like kind of rectify, um, I guess, a little bit of what the Dodgers did to that community once they built that stadium there because the Dodgers kind of had this code in place um, as to why Fernando wasn't already in the Dodgers Hall of Fame. Have it. It was nonsense. nonsense. Yeah, it was because yeah. they had this rule in place where if you're not in the actual MLB Hall of Fame, we're not going to put you in our team's Hall of Fame. And to a degree, I kind of understand that point because like giving away a part 
participation trophy a little bit, right? But Maury Wills has his number retired, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. Junior Gilliam has his number retired. He's not in the Hall of Fame. So the minute they say that's the reason, try again. You've that's, broken that rule before. That's where I would agree with your Tim Litzenko point. Maybe you're not in the MLB Hall of Fame, but you could have a five to six year stretch for a team's history where you do have that Tim Lincecum, where you do have that Fernando Vansuelo for a five to six year period. There may not be a more important stretch in team history than what that player did for your franchise, where you were maybe one of the one to five best players in the league at your position for a five year stretch. Maybe you don't make it into the MLB Hall of Fame, but if you were able to do that to a certain team, because I think it's more about when you look at a team's Hall of Fame, it's about your fans personal connection to that player and what that player meant to that franchise you don't have to go into the overall depth of legacy like you do with the mlb hall of fame it's more about what did that player do for me was how impactful was he and did i build that connection with that player and for fernando valenzuela he got the world series like you mentioned as a rookie winning cy young of the uh winning the cy young award as well six-time mm-hmm. all-star for those first six years he was in dodgers uniform and won the 1981 world series he's got the resume of a hall of famer four or five or six year period he just didn't have the longevity like you said before he for what he did to that dodgers franchise definitely deserves to be honored hey let's pause for a second and talk a little bit about FanDuel. this year the only app you need at your super bowl party is FanDuel, america's number one sports book millard are you excited are you excited about let's start this again <laughs> okay hey everyone this year the only app you need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Millard, are you excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked well, On? I am, Sully, because I hear it's the number one sports book in America. Yeah, and guess what? I'm new to FanDuel. Maybe some of you are, too. Well, that makes it even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun, and did I mention easy? Download FanDuel now so you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your team doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to who will score a touchdown. And the FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and easy to use. Best of all, you get paid your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no-sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, which is the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Look, teams have their different rules. Like the White Sox, I think my number's retired. I mean, the White Sox have retired so many numbers, it's unbelievable. Um, And, you know, sometimes you see a player who, you know, it should be in the Hall of Fame, and a team says, F it, we're going to retire their number anyway. You know, Lou Whitaker's has his number retired by the Detroit Tigers. I think Lou Whitaker is a Hall of Famer, but, you know, there you go. He's in there. You know, sometimes it's based upon uh, a tragedy. Jim Umbricht was not a Hall of Famer with the Astros, but when he died, they honored him by retiring his number. You know, he was was an important part for the team then. And Larry Durker, for example, or Johnny Pesky with the Red Sox, just had long stretches of being involved with the team and being important for the team that, you know, as a coach for Johnny Pesky, as a player, coach, manager, and everything, there's like they deserve to have his his number there. There's a couple of players who I think should have their numbers retired. I think Mike Messina, mm-hmm. he's a great, he's a Hall of Famer. 
Uh, either Orioles or Yankees do it. Yankees are running out of numbers. Yeah, they're, so they're, 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 they're teams who retired a lot. It's, the Yankees are like number one by far. Well, I think that's why Aaron Judge picked 99. He was like, F it, we'll go the other end. Um, and watch them eventually retire number 99 for Judge. Uh, your Diamondbacks retired number 51 for Randy, um, Randy Johnson. The Mariners have to retire 51 for both Randy Johnson and Ichiro Suzuki. There is a precedent for a number being retired for multiple people. You know, number eight is retired for Yogi Berra and Bill Dickey with the Yankees. Number 34 is retired for Raleigh Fingers and Dave Stewart with the A's. Dave Stewart's another great example. He's not a Hall of Famer. His peak was super high, pitched the A's to a World Series championship in three straight pennants, of which he was the MVP of two of those playoff series. But he was also from Oakland. He was a local boy done who came back to the A's as a champion. And he meant so much for that that star-studded team with Ricky Henderson, Jose Canseco, Mark McGuire, all those – Dennis Eckersley, all those great players will say, who was the leader of the team? It was Stu. It was Dave Stewart was the leader of that team. So, you know, sometimes you have a player who's had their number retired out of ceremony, and sometimes it's a no-brainer. And there's sometimes there's some sort of nastiness. Like the Red Sox took forever to retire Wade Boggs's number even though he was so obvious, he was spent 11 years with the Red Sox and was a Hall of Famer. Um, and finally, they finished grinding their teeth. And said, okay, fine, fine. Um, I actually think that, you know, the Angels are eventually going to uh, retire Trout. Mike Trout's number. Yeah, but I think they should also have a ceremony for Vlad Guerrero, who also wore number 27. Um, there, there's a special sort of asterisks next to all the Montreal Expos who had their numbers retired because where do those numbers? Do they just float off into the air? They just you know, the Tim Raines, Gary Carter, Air, you know, Andre Dawson, Vlad Guerrero, all the Hall of Famers for the uh for the Expos. Where where do they go? Where do they go? But you know, I think that it's uh, it's it's always a positive thing when you were I think when you have a number retiring ceremony, you're celebrating their past. And even if you wonder like What's that number? Why why is that person's number retired? And it causes some conversation about, you know, who the person was. Um, I'm always for that. I think that's great. And and Valenzuela, if nothing else, it brings up his what he did for the franchise and why number 34 is still seen all over the stadium. Because he was the guy for the Dodgers for the better part of a decade. Yeah. And looking at some recently retired guys, I mean, Albert Pujols, I think with the Cardinals probably has to get his yes. uh, jersey yeah. number retired. Absolutely. Miguel Cabrera, I would love to see that with the mm-hmm. Detroit Tigers as well. So I think those would be a couple of other interesting guys. There's some other guys. I mean, has Chipper Jones gotten his I jersey? I believe so. Out? If not, it's it's if, 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 if it hasn't happened yet, then he did. I'll go I'm look it up. If it hasn't happened, I mean, the. The Braves have retired a flurry of them. And I think one of the interesting franchises to look at in the next, you know, bunch of years is when, you know, the Bruce Brochies and everyone retire from the game. Um, like who, like, do you retire Buster Posey's number? Do you retire? I mean, you have to retire Bochy's number and probably, but do you retire Baumgartner's number? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, the, probably, I think you probably have. I don't know. Baumgartner yeah. probably. The the Braves have retired Bobby Cox, who I have many, many issues with, Chipper Jones, Warren Spahn, John Smoltz, Greg Maddox, Phil Necro, Eddie Matthews, 
Henry Aaron and Tom Glavin are all retired Hall of Famers. Also retired is number three for Dale Murphy, who eerily similar to Fernando Valenzuela was a guy who had an extremely high peak in the 1980s. Not, not a Hall of Famer, but for people of a certain age, he was their guy. The 80s was filled with players like that, like, like uh, uh, Don Mattingly, like Fernando Valenzuela, like um, Eric Davis, like Dale Murphy, Don Mattingly, I mentioned, whose career, th- their peak wasn't long enough to be a Hall of Famer, but for people like my age, like, but that was my, just, that was my guy. Ask Stacy Gotsoulias about Don Mattingly. If she had a kid, she wanted to name the kid Mattingly. Mm. No, so. Yeah, I think, I think I have heard her say that before. Where do we draw the line, though, on retiring jerseys? Because I'm thinking of someone like Paul Goldschmidt, someone that was really great for the D-backs, MVP candidate, probably maybe potentially be an MLB Hall of Famer, but like didn't have any great success with the D-backs organization. Is that someone that should be like on the fringe of making a, a team's Hall of Fame? Like I love Paul Goldschmidt. He's one of the greatest players ever, but does he have some kind of resume? Um, does, does he have that connection to the fans to be a part of the D-backs Hall of Fame? Like I don't know where we draw the lines. Like someone like Jacob deGrom, does he get into the Mets Hall of Fame despite DeGrom not having is, any like – I think there's a big difference between a team's Hall of Fame and retiring their number. Okay. I think the Hall of Fame is a lot more. An individual team Hall of Fame could have someone like a Sal Bando being retired for the A's. Could be like a Dustin Pedroia being not, you know, for the Red Sox or a John Lester. You know, I mean, you could have I mean, God knows who all the people stuffed into the Yankees Hall of Fame. But retiring the numbers should be the. I hate legends. To use the term. Those are the those are the unassailable legends. Okay. And um. You know, someone like a David Wright or a Jacob Degrom with the Mets, or or Goldschmidt with the the Diamondbacks, even a Verlander for the for the Astros, um, would have to be looked upon as someone like in the Team Hall of Fame. But in order to get the number retired, I really think that should be reserved for the all time all time greats of the team. I think the Red Sox have done about as well as you can do in that. You have. Bobby Doerr, Joe Cronin, uh, Kyle Yastrzemski, Ted Williams. Tough to argue with any of those. Mm-hmm. Jim Rice is in the Hall of Fame. Wade Boggs is in the Hall of Fame. Carlton Fisk is in the Hall of Fame. Pedro Martinez is in the Hall of Fame. David Ortiz is in the Hall of Fame. And Johnny Pesky is a like this all-time figure on the team. Those 10 guys... I, you're hard-pressed to have an argument against any one of them, and they all tell the history of the Red Sox. Um, I think the Yankees have been overly lenient. They were so, they've been so obsessed with celebrating the core that you know I thought you know Jeter, Torrey, and Rivera should have been the members in the you know with their their numbers retired. Maybe okay, Bernie Williams fine. We start getting to Pettit and Posada. It starts to me getting a little like we're just and now Paul O'Neill and David like you're just trying to celebrate everyone from that team because you're trying to hey remember when you liked these guys you know um, they retired Roger Maris's number he had three good seasons with the Yankees you know and and I don't even think he was the best Yankee to wear number nine you can make a really really good argument that Greg Nettles was the greatest number nine in Yankee history. So, I don't know. 
The idea of never being able to put on like a Pettit jersey again is kind of funny to me. It wasn't like he was that elite of a player. Where like, he was a fi- <laughs> he's someone you put in the Yankee Hall of Fame. Yeah, he's someone you put a you put a plaque in the Monument Park. I have no problem with that. Start retiring his number. Okay, okay. I mean, fine. I mean, look at. I'm never against doing anything that celebrates the game and celebrates the game's past. But, you know, at some point, the brakes have to be pumped. Yeah, I think the best way you said it is, can you tell the history of that franchise without that player? I think you can't tell the history of the D-backs without the Randy Johnson and the Gonzo. Or the Luis Gonzalez, yeah. Yeah, but you could probably tell it, as much as I love Paul Goldschmidt, you could probably skip over the six-year period, seven-year period he had with the D-backs. I think each – like a team like the Yankees is interesting because they've had so many pockets – of great teams, the, the the Ruth Gehrig years, the DiMaggio Bill Dickey years, the uh, the Whitey Ford Mickey Mantle Yogi Berra years, the the Mantle Maris years of the you know with Elston Howard in the '60s. Then you have the Bronx Zoo with you know Reggie and Billy Martin and Thurman Munson. You know Munson's not in the Hall of Fame, but he probably would have been if he didn't die in the plane crash. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that they retired his number after in the wake of his death, Munson is similar to Valenzuela that his effect would be on the numbers. Then, of course, you have the Joe Torre years. You know, it, the most one of the ridiculous things though is the Yankees will you know you know throw out retired numbers left and right. Um, number thirteen is still available, the greatest third baseman in Yankee history who led the Yankees to the 2009 World Series Championship and That's won right. several MVPs. A-Rod's not up there. That's right. Well, he uh, he had uh, steroid issues. May I introduce you to Mr. Andy Pettit, whose name is on there? Well, but he wasn't the greatest guy off the field. Billy Martin, ladies and gentlemen. Hell, Babe Ruth, ladies and gentlemen. Okay? So there's the fact that number th- – I'm not that I'm trying to have the Yankees – you know, shove more retired numbers up there, but uh, Posada before A Rod, really? Mm, it's that homegrown. It's that homegrownness. How about Manny? Oh, uh, homegrown. You mean like Billy, like uh, Babe Ruth was homegrown? He didn't mm. play for a team. Oh wait, he did. Uh, like Reggie did. Jackson. Oh wait, he did. So using the same logic, Manny for the Red Sox should. Uh, I think number twenty-four should be a dual retiring for the Red Sox for Dwight Evans. And for um, Manny Ramirez, 24 probably should have. Uh, in terms of the Hall of Fame, I mean, I'll just say this. Uh, this is one of these weird things how baseball history is teetering on a, a razor's edge here. If the Red Sox got that final out in 1986, not only is Jim Rice in the Hall of Fame on the first ballot, not the 15th, but Dwight Evans is also in the Hall of Fame. And chances are Clemens and Boggs are Red Sox for life. But um, they're certainly two of the most beloved figures instead of controversial figures who won their rings with the Yankees. I never begrudged Boggs for a nanosecond. The Red Sox didn't offer him a deal. So what is he supposed to do? Be loyal to the team that didn't offer him a deal? So, um, but... If Evans made that, if if that if if Mookie Wilson popped up to Marty Barrett, the Red Sox win the World Series. Dwight Evans is in the Hall of Fame, maybe by Veterans Committee, but people would have looked at his numbers and said, "Oh my God, he was an elite home run hitter 
with the advanced metrics through the wazoo. And by the way, heads and shoulders, the best defensive right fielder in the American League. He would have been in the Hall of Fame and number 24 would not have been available for Manny. Uh, but have a ceremony honor, you know, celebrating both Manny and Evans. Because it's a hard time to tell the history of the Red Sox without mentioning Manny Ramirez. Yeah. Whether you like him or not. And Evans was a huge part of the team as well. So, you know, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, look at this is all about celebrating the past. This is all, you know, and baseball is constantly celebrating the past, sometimes to a fault. But the fact of the matter is, this is what we're doing when we're retiring numbers. Hey, Miller Thomas, let me tell you something. Are you looking for a delicious treat, but don't yeah. all the fat and calories? You know I am, Sully. Do you what you should try? What? You, you got to try a built bar. Ooh. Look at, we are now into February and we are approaching the next great hurdle for those of you who are trying to be more healthy. And that is Super Bowl Sunday's coming up. And you're going to be looking at that giant plate of wings and the big hoagies and the baked ziti and the pizza and the, the sausage or whatever you're going to shove in your mouth. You what? Try to be healthier, at least leading up to it. And that's what you got to try built with built. Healthy is actually tasty. They're so delicious, you, you won't think they're good for you. In fact, you know what I'm bringing to my Super Bowl party? A big bowl of Built Bars. I'm going to be the hit of the party because they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right. You heard me right. Real chocolate. And they have great flavors. Churro, peanut butter brownie, coconut almond. I don't know how Built does it. I've asked. They won't tell me. These bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining unbelievable macros. It's better that they're healthy. 130 calories, four grams of sugar, a whopping. Guys, sit down. Let me tell you how many protein we got in there. 17 grams of protein, huh? And now you don't have to wait for the box to show up. For years, we've been talking about ordering built bars at built.com. Now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk up to the pharmacy section. Grab yourself a box of built bars. You can pick up a four bar box set of cookies and cream double chocolate, or coconut puffs. If you're close to a Sam's Club, which I am, in case you're wondering where I live, you can grab a 13-bar box, which I eat every day, 13 bars a day, with hit flavors like brownie batter and churro. You can thank me later. Miller Thomas, I'm not kidding you. What do you think about the Built Bars? <laughs> they are fantastic, Sully. The perfect post-gym treat. Bill Bars, they're still good. All right, well, look at Millard. Thanks for stopping by this episode of Locked On MLB. Uh, uh, can you stick around for tomorrow? We'll book you in the hotel. We can have you stay for a little bit longer uh, because we have some other stuff we got to talk about. Only if you have continental breakfast, Sally. Oh No, we don't have continental breakfast. We only serve mm. Bill Bars in the morning. Oh, we that's have, even better. The, 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 you're not going to... Excuse me, housekeeping, built bars. And they leave a little built bar on the on the pillow there. Well, look at tomorrow, Miller Thomas is back for part two. We're going to be talking a little bit about, you know, not to completely fold it into our sponsors here, but uh, FanDuel has a couple of questions that they're having you bet on. We're going to take a look at them. And then we talked about uniforms today, uniform numbers to retire. But what about advertisements on said uniforms your team the arizona diamondbacks is leading the way and making the players walking billboards yeah some people don't like it i have some thoughts and some of those thoughts might surprise you or may not 
depending on what you thought in the first place. Miller Thomas, tell people where they can follow your great show. You can follow me on Twitter, my personal account, at CreatorThomas24, on Twitter at least, or follow the show account, both Twitter and Instagram. Just look up Lockdown Dimebacks. Please hit subscribe as well on the Lockdown Dimebacks YouTube channel. And you can find us at Lockdown MLB Pods on Twitter and Instagram and look us up on YouTube. Please subscribe. And you can follow me. I'm your pal, Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. If you have any questions you want me to talk about or any suggestions of shows you want me to go through, please, please go ahead and send them right there. And I'm, I'm quick to respond to it. So talking about the legacy of Fernando Valenzuela and retired numbers in general. This has been the Locked On MLB, Locked On Diamondbacks crossover. He's Miller Thomas. I'm your pal, Sully. Let's fist bump until tomorrow.